Hello, everyone, and welcome to Paytech Talk. This is Frank Müller, and uh, we're having today our episode 53 of Paytech Talk. Um, this time today, we will um, produce in English to also um, have an episode for uh, international um, listeners. Uh, my today's guests um, are Charles Creer from uh, Enerton SA in uh, Luxembourg and uh, Alireza Siadat from Enerton, Germany. Um, we will have an internal discussion about our uh, new law firm and what, what kind of services we provide. And uh, we will, of course, also uh, will have uh, uh, super cool content. Uh, we'll, we will discuss um, how AMLD5 Uh, which is a rather old topic, um, influences European uh, crypto regulation. So, um, yeah, well, for, for those who don't know us, um, we are a fintech podcast. We started uh, some three years ago. Um, I think the first episode was, um, um, was uh, recorded um, at the Money 2020 in um, Copenhagen still. Um, I think the first interview was with uh, David Breer, our colleague from 11FS in uh, London. And yeah, well, now, uh, three years later, we are uh, past the 50 episodes and uh, super proud that we accomplished many things. So we have a very broad um, sector of listeners from all kinds of countries. Um, yeah, well, our key focus, as I said, is uh, fintech in the broadest sense. So we, um, we do have topics Uh, from the financial regulation sector, also AMLD, uh, AMLD um, topics, uh, money laundering prevention and so forth. Um, but also, of course, um, also a lot of, um, lot of um, podcasts and also content, blog, uh, content on our blog um, on uh, crypto regulation. Well, I guess um, enough uh, from me. Um, I would like uh, you guys uh, to introduce yourselves um, who you are, where you've been, what are you doing? Um, yeah, well, um, Charles, uh, would you like to start to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Frank. Uh, thank you for having me here. Uh, first time to record a podcast with you. I'm very excited and uh, I'm happy that I will have the opportunity to also present a little bit the office in Luxembourg. So Anaton SA um, is the Luxembourg office of Anaton Law Firm. Uh, we started uh, more than a year ago and um, I am uh, the founding partner of that office. Mm -hmm. um, you said it already, we have the big focus of our um, law firm on, on fintech. So this is the same in Luxembourg. We advise uh, on one hand, um, the startups that uh, need regulation or that they're looking for regulation or that are, that are not yet sure if they need some regulation. Um, on the one hand, but also on the other hand, we advise established uh, international corporate entities uh, in their um, regulatory life uh, of each day. Um, moreover, uh, we are specializing in corporate law, so we are also performing corporate housekeeping and corporate transactions of these clients. And then thirdly, I would say we have um, a big focus uh, indeed on innovation uh, in, in the broadest sense. So uh, we help um, identifying the legal burdens that uh, fintechs are facing in their day-to-day -day life and also coping with regulation or with non-regulation for example in the area of um, cryptocurrencies where a lot is going on but um, not everything has been concretized uh, um, 
in a, in the legal way. So that is what we do in Luxembourg, and I'm very happy to be a part of that uh, Anatom um, experience, and um, which has uh, now also its office in Frankfurt. Oh, thank you, Charles. Uh, that was <laughs> that was the st uh, start for uh, Ali Reza. Ali Reza. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us more what uh, our Frankfurt office uh, provides for? Yes, sure. Hello, everyone. So it's Adereza Ziadat. Um, I'm a partner in our Frankfurt office, and I'm in Frankfurt. Uh, we have opened this office uh, around about five weeks ago, and I'm very excited to start this chapter here now with Anatom. I was before that working for different law firms and uh, focusing on regulatory, and I'm still uh, continuing to advise on regulatory together with my colleagues, uh, not just here in Frankfurt, but also in Berlin, Luxembourg, uh, and Munich. And uh, so what, what we do here in Frankfurt, we try to keep the focus on the local players, which means uh, mainly banks, um, asset managers, investment firms, uh, but we also concentrate on fintechs. So on those companies which either provide a fintech related services standalone or in cooperation with traditional players such as banks or investment firms or asset managers. So this is something we do from here. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm very excited to start this chapter here now and uh, to uh, have also a stronger focus on fintechs, blockchain and crypto. Okay, thank you very much, guys. Um, yeah, well, um, as I said, uh, we not only want to introduce what we do um, at Anaton. Um, of course, um, we would uh, rather focus on uh, content as we always do. Um, you mentioned it, Ali Reza. So, um, um, to as a buzzword, crypto, crypto regulation. Um, there has been the uh, so-called AMLD five, so, which is the fifth uh, European Anti-Money Laundering Directive, um, and with uh, with uh, the AMLD5, um, there has been some uh, movement in crypto regulation um, in the EU. Um, Charles, the um, AMLD5 um, has uh, certain sections um, um, giving giving the opportunity to national uh, to European um, members of the EU uh, to implement uh, crypto regulation. Um, why is it that um, the European lawmakers um, uh, use the AMLD5 to introduce first steps of um, crypto regulation in the European market? What is the background of this? Hasn't there been any European initiative? Yes, that's a, a very good question. So uh, indeed, um, the EU di didn't came up with a, um, a standalone regulation when it comes to cryptocurrencies. But the first official um, legislative work on cryptocurrencies was indeed to include um, uh, cryptocurrencies and cryptocurrency uh, providers within the scope uh, of the fifth anti-money laundering directive. So why is that? Um, of course, the European Union and the Commission is working on, a, on, on such a legislative project. Um, recently, uh, the Vice President of the Commission announced that there would be some uh, legislative work still this year. So we will be keen to see if that, if that, if that will happen. 
Um, so there has been the FinTech Roadmap 2018. There have been um, consultations of the European Commission. Lately, there, have, there has been um, a very um, uh, intensive mm -hmm. report by the European Parliament on that topic. So there is something going on at the EU level, but uh, nothing concrete has, has shown up so far. So that is the reason why um, I think the European Union wanted to act in the meanwhile. Uh, by including um, the virtual uh, currency world uh, into um, AML. What does it mean? Um, therefore, you can have a look at the recitals of the fifth anti-money laundering directive, right, where we can find um, um, the very aim of that inclusion of, the, of these actors, mainly um, the aim was to um, fight a little bit the anonymity of virtual, virtual currencies. So the anonymity of virtual currencies that we all know, and the most um, striking example would be, I, I would say, um, bitcoins, uh, which allowed you to buy them uh, on an anonymous uh, way. So this anonymity, of course, allows potential misuse uh, for criminal purposes of uh, virtual currencies. And therefore, the idea was um, to include all the actors of that world into uh, any, money, any money laundering directive and imposing on them uh, all the duties that uh, regulated institutions already have for, for many years, mainly um, customer due diligence and uh, suspicious, uh, suspicious transaction reporting. So in the AML5, indeed, we can find now division, uh, definitions about virtual assets and virtual currencies. And uh, so, so that this um, includes these actors and imposes on them um, these obligations that I just mentioned. Yeah, well, uh, thank you, Charles. Um, as you said, there has been some movement in this regard, but this is, uh, well, as the name says, the Anti-Money Laundering Directive has a main focus on, um, on anti-money laundering prevention. So how come that, um, that um, the well, crypto regulation does not only focus on um, AML specific rules, but also introduced, and now uh, I will give, it, give the word to Ali Reza, but also um, has now some sort of um, registration obligation. Um, how does this work in Germany, Ali Reza? What, what does, did the German lawmakers introduce in Germany um, in the context of the AML D5? Yeah, this is um, also something unique within the European Union. Uh, I would like to look back a little bit also to, to give to the listeners uh, some kind of historical background on this on this movement. So if you look at the AMLD5, um, as Charles already said, it is focusing on uh, anti-money laundering and the uh, combating of fines of terrorism. And this goes back to the 2014 FATF, so Financial Action Task Force report, on virtual currencies. So in 2014, the FATF already highlighted that there is a risk of using crypto for anti-money laundering and the finance of terrorism. So at the same time, in 2014, the first regulator globally, the German regular BaFin, also published a report on Bitcoin and on the risk that Bitcoin is used by the players and it might be a real regulated business. So you can see in this example that the German regulator was very early already looking at crypto, especially on Bitcoin and trading of Bitcoin and uh, the, 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 the possibility of, of regulating it. And um, if, you, if you look then later on in 2019, 
in January 2019, the European Securities Markets Association, ESMA, and the European Banking Authority, EBA, with the report in January 2019, the report on ICOs and crypto assets, they already highlighted that within the European Union, there is a, a divergence of regulation of crypto. So there are some member states which don't regulate crypto at all. There are some member states which try to regulate it for AML purposes. And there are some member states, or actually I believe it's only one member state, it's Germany, which already started before the implementation of MLD5 to regulate crypto. But this was something where the German authority and the German courts, they had different opinions. While the German authority, uh, Bafin, was believing that anyone trading with Bitcoin needs a license, the, the court, here mainly the higher court of Hamburg, uh, stated in a ruling that uh, um, anyone trading with Bitcoin, this is not regulated because we do not have it in our laws. So what Germany did at that time, at the implementation of the AMLD5, which was actually only focusing on anti-money laundering uh, um, prevention and also the, the fight of the uh, finance of terrorism, uh, the German lawmaker said, okay, we're going to use this AMLD5 to also implement a license for those who trade with Bitcoin and also we're going to introduce a new license for services related to crypto, mainly the custody of crypto. So in Germany, we have from this year, from January this year, we have uh, two new license regimes. One is for trading of crypto, crypto assets, so crypto assets which covers in general not just cryptocurrencies, but also utility and security token. And, and we also have a new uh, regulated service, which is the custody of crypto assets. So these two new license regimes in Germany, they're unique within the European economic area. And uh, I believe they're going to be a, a role model for the whole European Union, maybe in the, in the uh, new uh, um, update of the MIFID. So the MIFID three, uh, what I'm believing is may, may, probably going to cover also regulation on crypto assets trading and also crypto assets custody service. That was interesting, Ali Reza. Maybe we um, um, uh, give the word to Charles. Uh, do you agree? Do you think that, well, first step, one step back. Um, so um, do you think that um, the um, German model could be um, a, a role model for, for Europe? And how is the situation currently in Luxembourg? Um, is there any movement with regards to um, crypto license uh, regulation as well? How, what, is, what is the status quo here? Yes, well, maybe um, also if we have a look back in history, we can also uh, note that um, the Luxembourg regulator also took some initiatives. So it was the same um, um, conclusion that um, cryptocurrency markets and marketplaces and trading exchange platforms would, will need to be regulated at some stage. And this conclusion, the Luxembourg regulator, the CSSF, uh, did already also before any um, cryptocurrency regulation was in force, but they took um, um, uh, another way. So back in 2016, uh, the CSSF authorized two um, um, uh, cryptocurrency exchange platforms and uh, gave them an authorization as payment institution. Um, why was that? So the, the, the very first aim was indeed to have them regulated and to apply to them uh, anti-money laundering uh, provisions. And um, so the, the idea was to say that even though virtual currencies as such 
um, are not subject to any authorization, but the service behind. So meaning uh, receiving funds from the buyer uh, of Bitcoin and then transfer them afterwards to the seller. So this has been qualified as a payment service and therefore um, we have at least two examples of uh, Bitcoin exchange platforms that have been regulated uh, before any um, EU uh, initiative has been taken. Um, from then, indeed, Luxembourg also take a slightly different approach when it comes to uh, the implementation of AMLD5 and uh, because um, there is no proper license for those actors, but um, the CSSF is more um, using the word of registration. Um, at first sight, this sounds uh, quite uh, straightforward, but um, indeed you have to uh, file a registration uh, uh, file with the CSSF. So there is a, a whole registration procedure. Uh, it normally would start with um, a meeting with the CSSF where you, where you would together with the regulator uh, have a look at your business and then um, depending on the activities, decide whether such a registration is required or not. And then in a second step, you would need to uh, file, as I said, um, a an, an application for registration. And that application is, uh, to be honest, is quite near to, um, to um, an authorization because it includes all the, um, the main elements of an authorization, meaning identification details, but also you have to file a program of operations and a business plan, um, a financial forecasts, um, and uh, what is also an important element is uh, some enhanced governance um, uh, requirements. So you need to management um, a management of two people on site in Luxembourg. There will be a fit the proper assessment, so their vulnerability will be checked. So indeed, this is not just giving the name of your business to the CSSF and then wait to be put on 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 the list, but this is um, a whole application for registration in Luxembourg. Um, and maybe to finish, yeah, um, to come back to your question, can the German model be um, a EU model? Uh, well, it certainly has the potential to be a EU model. Um, and anyhow, we, we already see with those two different implementation ways that there is a big need for a harmonized solution at EU level. And why not on the, on the, on the German model? Because it is clear that um, many of the tokens, um, mainly security tokens, uh, potentially fall under, under MIFID and qualify as financial instruments, which, uh, which explains that um, there would be a need for, uh, for more regulation. So um, um, that is interesting, um, Charles. So you're saying that, and, and uh, we do have uh, the, same, the same thing in payment services. So you're saying that um, although it's only, uh, in quotes, a registration, um, it, is, it is very close to uh, a license application. So can you give us an indication and what's the difference um, between a, a, a license application and a registration is from a, uh, from a timeline perspective? Um, because you already did for, uh, as for the scope. So what is the difference from your experience and uh, you have been formerly working for the CSSF yourself in Luxembourg? So maybe you can give us some insights and what the difference uh, in, in, in terms of timing uh, would be. Well, first of all, it is, however, important to um, um, explain that from a, from a regulatory perspective, so the regulator clearly says that 
its role is limited uh, in the in the registration uh, of those um, virtual asset service providers as they are called because it is limited to that registration to the supervision and to the enforcement um, uh, for AML purposes. Uh, that's the first statement of the regulator. Then the second statement is um, clearly that um, the registration is not like um, giving you a stamp of, of quality for your product. So the CSSF will, of course, not uh, give a positive assessment on the quality of your services, but it, it, it wouldn't do it neither for payment service, but this is also important to, um, to understand that the registration process is not um, uh, in, as, as such uh, a proof of quality of the services. Um, it's it's hard for the time being to compare because I, uh, we know of some uh, applicants that are in the pipeline. So this requirement to register is applicable only since the third of uh, of March. So um, we have no uh, use case for the time being because the the registration process is ongoing. But as I said, um, there are these payment institutions that are already licensed that will now also need to register um, as a virtual asset service provider. Um, my guess is that they will not require the same time than um, asking for the authorization as payment institution because as I said, many of the elements are, are comparable and um, so that they now can rely on existing documentation. Uh, as for new applicants for registration, of course, um, we have to keep in mind that this is also quite a new exercise for regulators. So they will also need um, their time on, um, on their behalf. And I think that they will have an intense exchange of, with the applicants so that um, the first uh, virtual asset service providers may not uh, show up before, before autumn of this year. Okay, interesting. Um, Alireza, how is the situation in Germany um, from an um, applicant's perspective? So um, do, do you have knowledge on how many um, uh, companies, fintechs have filed for uh, in, in Germany for, for licensing application? Do you have yeah. any know-how of this? Yes, I mean, actually, um, I'm involved in advising a couple of players in applying for the crypto custody license and also some crypto exchanges uh, which applied for the crypto trading license. Um, so according to some, uh, some up last update from the German regular BaFin, uh, we had around 30 till 40 uh, um, informal uh, um, notifications with BaFin. This kind of informal notifications uh, is, a, is a, a part of a three-step application which the BAF introduced. Uh, BAF introduced uh, uh, last year, already in the end of last year, that uh, those who are interested to apply for the crypto custody license should informally uh, provide a notification to BAFIN about their interest by the end of 2019. Um, then the, the second step would be a formal notification by end of March this year. And then there is the third step, which says, if you want to make use of the so-called grandfathering rule, you have to apply by the end of November this year. So the grandfathering rule gives those um, existing players who are already providing their services of crypto custody or crypto trading before 2020, the possibility to apply for the license usually takes um, at least, I would say in this complex situation, six months, the possibility to uh, be treated as they would have already had their license from beginning of this year. So they could continue to provide their services, 
wait to receive the license and uh, uh, continue with their services, which is a big advantage. Uh, however, this is also something which uh, may be tricky because uh, the BaFin and also the law asks the applicants to uh, file a complete uh, set of documents for uh, end of November this year. And a complete document uh, documentation means that BaFin has to uh, agree that the documentation is complete. And uh, this is something uh, which is very tricky because applying for the license in Germany is similar uh, to Luxembourg, uh, to, to the application of the CSSF. So the full set of documentation uh, will cover a regulatory business plan which uh, gives not just insight into the business and uh, how the business is taking care of risk and compliance, but also an outlook to the planned figures for the next three years. Um, it also requires uh, a fit and proper check of not just the two managing directors, but also of the anti-money laundering director, of the IT security officer, of the compliance officer, and uh, besides that, uh, some further documentation like policies and so on and so on. But uh, talking about crypto custody, the German regulator, which, whom I also had the pleasure to talk to, um, they will mainly focus in that respect on IT security. So what they want to uh, see from the applicant is that the entire structure of trading and providing custody to crypto is uh, secure, which means they really want to understand how do the service provider take care of the assets, in this case, the private keys uh, and the wallets of their clients? Uh, is it a combination of a hot and uh, cold storage? If it's a cold storage, how uh, do they take care of the assets? What happens in case of insolvency? What happens in case uh, those guys who have access to the cold storage may die or may disappear like we saw it in uh, other cases uh, in Canada? So this is something where Bafin is uh, putting lots of attention to. And uh, um, so uh, looking uh, back at your question, so in, in Germany, it is also uh, a, a very tricky uh, regist uh, not registration, but licensing procedure. So it, it, it asks for the applicants to have um, at least 125,000 euro on the account as starting capital for the company. Um, it asks for two managing directors, uh, one anti-money laundering officer, one IT security officer, one compliance officer, uh, and uh, the entity has to be in Germany, which now makes the whole thing very tricky. So your entity has to be in Germany. It means that you cannot set up your company in Luxembourg and do the so-called passporting. So passporting means you apply in Luxembourg and then passport your services to Germany because it is not a, a, a service which is regulated by the uh, European uh, law, which is the MIFID. Uh, and you, you cannot use uh, your, your cross-border business to, to provide the custody service. It really asks you to set up your entity in Germany, apply for the license and do the whole thing in Germany. And once you have the license in Germany, you cannot passport it to any other country within the European economic area. Uh, so it, for now on, it is uh, lots of uh, burdens and, and, and uh, uh, things you have to take care of for only being able to provide the service to the German market and not to the entire European Union, which is uh, contrary to the whole concept of having a single market within the European Union. Oh, thank you, Ali Reza. That's a good point. So, Charles, um, uh, talking about harmonization. So, first, uh, how does how does the regulation in Luxembourg work, and what would be, from your perspective, the next step 
towards a more harmonized uh, crypto regulation is there anything is there anything going on on eu level or is there oh, well at least from your knowledge something going on in luxembourg um what is what is your knowledge on this yeah so i think ali reza pointed out the the, the big issue with that um, um with the fact that virtual the world of virtual currencies has been uh, included in in aml5 so to be clear, this step is is right because we need to have more legal certainty uh, when it comes to identifying um, users of virtual currencies, for sure. But um, the step that is missing is indeed this harmonized uh, legislative piece coming from the European Commission, from the European Union, because as Ali Reza pointed out very rightly, there is no passporting for that activity that is uh, for the time being possible. So any uh, entity that would either choose registration in Luxembourg or go for an authorization in, in Germany will not be um, able to expand its services uh, on the on the legal basis of, of the provision of services, which is a very um, um, precious um, um, principle within the European Union. So um, this shows that harmonization will be um, uh, of essence. And this also explains why uh, countries such as Luxembourg will not take any um, um, proper initiatives. So Luxembourg has also decided that due to the limited market scope, um, it, it would not make sense to start uh, establishing sandboxes in this, in this area because um, there will be um, the, the only good solution will be an, an EU solution. Um, when it comes to that EU solution, as I said, there have been announcements from uh, official sites that have been done. Um, there has been this consultation uh, of the European Commission um, that uh, ended, I guess, in March of that of this year, and um, I think some uh, two hundred. Um, um, stakeholders from the market uh, replied to that so which shows that there is uh, uh, a big interest in the uh, in the um, in the topic and i think now it will be so the, the future regulation will i think give some guidance on on very um, um, general aspects of the of cryptocurrencies meaning their classification uh, will we be able to uh, align on a classification of those cryptocurrencies or of virtual assets um, and then also uh, what can we do with uh, the virtual assets where we um, notice that they fall within existing uh, legislation and on the other side what will we do with um, uh, virtual assets that do not fall into any uh, existing legislation and then i think uh, a third point will um, a third focus will be maybe also on on stable coins um, we have the example of libra from facebook and i think that we cannot ignore that there is also uh, a huge interest into stable coins yeah, I totally agree. Uh, but coming back to, to a more harmonized European um, regulation, Ali Reza, you, uh, man, uh, you, you mentioned that uh, there could be a MIFID 3 that could tackle um, the situation that Charles and you just described um, in order to have a more harmonized way. So um, is there anything, um, anything you know in this regard? I mean, you're also active not only for Anaton, but uh, for example, also for uh, ThinkBlock Tank um, organization in Luxembourg, but you're also very active um, 
uh, I think also with the German Bundesblock. Um, is there anything you have heard of that is, could be of interest for our listeners? Yes, I mean, um, what, what also Charles right now mentioned is the consultation of ESMA of this year, March, which was uh, happening. So um, as I'm a member of uh, Think Block Tank and through Think Block Tank, also a member of INAPA, which is the Blockchain Association of European Commission, uh, we have participated in this consultation. And in this consultation um, uh, through INAPA, there were uh, many uh, already uh, traditional players, such as major, major uh, exchanges, like the German uh, Deutsche Börse and the Spanish exchange and other exchanges who have also participated in this consultation. So what uh, what I have taken from this uh, participation are, are three, are three uh, points. One point is that um, the, the German example of regulating crypto assets and crypto custody service that could be a, really a role model for the uh, coming uh, regulation on a European level. Uh, the second thing which I have witnessed is that um, we, we realize that the, the, the blockchain ecosystem is something which is right now moving very fast. So there are new services coming. So crypto custody service is not the, the, the last service which will be regulated from the uh, crypto economy. There are services such as staking, and other services which are highly uh, risky from a, from an investor perspective, which may be also regulated. And the third thing which I have witnessed uh, from the consultation is that actually there are many uh, uh, participants who believe that uh, now during the, 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 the update of the MIFID regulation, so the uh, forthcoming MIFID 3, uh, will be used to also regulate uh, on one side uh, to add to the list of financial instruments crypto assets, but also to add on the list of activities and services, at least uh, the service of crypto custody and maybe something else. Um, and um, what, what I uh, understand or also believe strongly is that only an, 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 uh, a regulatory framework such as the MIFID uh, can provide um, an EU harmonized approach for the regulatory treatment of crypto assets Oh, very interesting. And uh, maybe one, one uh, further question in this regard. So um, uh, as of last week, um, we have now two strong German leaders uh, on the top of the European um, organization, so, which is uh, Angela Merkel as representative of Germany uh, for the uh, council presidency. And of course, uh, Ursula von der Leyen um, as head of uh, the EU commission. Um, do you think or do you believe that uh, this could have an impact um, on the uh, transferring the German model, as you named it, Ali Reza, um, at the beginning, um, to, to use the German model uh, for a European regulation, or do you think this is uh, separate? I mean, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I don't have any insights in that, um, but what I believe is that uh, Germany will not uh, use these two positions uh, in the next years to uh, really put pressure on the EU regulatory framework when it comes to crypto assets. Uh, for that, uh, I think crypto assets is not important enough from, the, from an EU perspective. However, what I believe and what I also understood before is that 
um, given that uh, Germany is, is very careful when, when drafting new laws and Germany is very experienced and uh, also from the population, they're the biggest country within the European economic area and also from the economic perspective, once uh, uh, UK is exiting the EU, uh, by far the most uh, powerful uh, member state, I believe that uh, there will be no no, not much uh, resistance against uh, in applying or using the German model as an uh, EU raw model. Uh, and therefore, I believe it could have an indirect influence that we now have also these two strong positions within the European Union. Uh, interesting. What is, your, what is your view on this, Charles? Yeah, I mean, Ali Reza just pointed it out. There has to be um, uh, enough political interest into a topic in order to bring it uh, at that level. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether this is right now the case, but uh, um, of course, um, it is always helpful. And I wouldn't uh, distinguish between um, uh, the member state uh, origin um, of, of a person, but it is always of in, uh, of value if you have a political person that is interested uh, in the in, in into those topics and um, therefore you would need stakeholders and actors within the um, market that bring up those topics uh, and re repeat them <laughs> to the political um, on a regular basis so um, of course this could be a good opportunity to um, raise the issue and um, if, if we think more globally, uh, we all know at EU level that uh, this is another example where we uh, should um, put our heads together and find a good European solution, especially um, as, there, uh, as there are other markets where this um, uh, crypto world and um, um, crypto assets um, um, movement um, is growing very fast. So again, there, is, there should be a huge interest in order to um, move forward and to show that, Euro, that the European Union is willing and is able um, to uh, show up with a, with a good solution at EU level that could also potentially attract uh, actors from, from outside the European Union. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, maybe a first mover advantage uh, when it comes to regulator, uh, crypto regulatory um, laws. Uh, but maybe to move on from here, um, let, let's just assume um, for now that um, there will be um, uh, harmonized uh, crypto regulation. Um, from, from your point of view, Ali Reza and, and Charles, um, what is, the, what is the, the, the major impact of crypto regulation in Germany? Maybe from, from my perspective, just, just uh, some first ideas. Um, I think what, what could be fixed or should be fixed is the fact that, uh, at least I know from Germany, that uh, if you as a crypto uh, custody provider, um, um, you need a license under the German Banking Act. And as you said, Charles, um, the, the um, ancillary services behind such a service, you also move uh, uh, fiat money, at least when, you, when you're in crypto exchange. Um, now, what happens um, in Germany when you have a license under the German Banking Act, um, you are not per se allowed to, uh, to move fiat money. Uh, in this case, uh, you probably would need uh, further licenses, in particular um, payment services licenses. Um, and I think if we take a look forward and, and we look at a European harmonization, uh, I think it would be a great thing to to implement uh, new regulatory um, standards that 
um, avoid um, for a, a, co a company, uh, especially if it's a startup, to having to apply for two licenses. So maybe um, your view on this, Ali Reza, and then uh, your view from, from Luxembourg, Charles. Yeah, I, th I think it's a, it's a good point. And um, uh, I, I'm looking at, at this whole topic, not just from a crypto and, and um, yeah, from, from crypto perspective, but more from a, a general perspective uh, with respect to uh, digitization and blockchain. And in that respect, uh, I mean, I'm not a big fan of regulating too much. I think a risk-based approach should be also applied in uh, asking the players to have regulation. Uh, so the the regulation should should help for the for the players to introduce the new technology to the market and to be service provider to the market, uh, which we can now witness and face that this blockchain technology is something which is moving very fast in a global level, and the uh, service providers they are around they are there to provide services to the market. Therefore, I believe. Uh, in uh, regulating some of them where the risk is high and it is beneficial for both for the players also as also for the for the customers this is good uh, but what you just mentioned uh, um, only regulating it on a domestic level like only in germany or only in in, in luxembourg and doing it differently um, does not bring any benefit to this uh, international to this globally uh, new thing which is coming which is blockchain because you cannot just regulate it in germany and hope that everything is fine uh, if you use the internet if you use the blockchain technology if you use new technologies you're open to the entire global market so uh, at least the european union and further uh, further outside therefore i i uh, strongly believe that we um, do not just need a uh, regulation within Germany, we need the regulation on an uh, EU-wide level and not just regulation but also um, um, a, a new law when it comes to civil law, when it comes to the treatment of securities, what we see now in Germany. Uh, so all of that has to be uh, updated and uh, make uh, be fit for the new technologies so we can use the new technologies without having any regulatory or law or bottleneck. Interesting, um, very interesting. Charles, what is uh, your view on this? Yeah, maybe I would like to um, um, add an, another layer in this in that discussion, meaning that um, we all know that um, um, there has been the Juncker plan uh, in the European Union and there have been many initiatives to um, provide um, alternative and straightforward funding sources um, for small and medium enterprises. And I think um, um, crypto assets um, and mainly, for example, tokenized securities uh, and the issuance of those tokenized securities can be a very good instrument uh, to provide um, uh, funding sources to uh, small and medium enterprises. Um, and there you can also see that there, um, there is a lack of, uh, of, of legal certainty as to uh, identify um, these securities um, as financial instruments or not, and to see whether the current prospectus regulation would or could apply to those uh, issuances. Of course, um, the, the willingness is there to, uh, for example, to draft a, a proper prospectus and to provide uh, um, the necessary information to investors. But on the other hand, it is again, um, um, the exercise is again to cope with existing regulation that does not necessarily take into account any and all aspects of this of these um, various types of, um, of um, virtual assets that exist and that will show up uh, in the future. So 
again, I think classification will be of essence, although uh, I, I admit that um, this is a fast evolving um, uh, business and industry and classification that is um, up to date today uh, might be outdated very quickly. So I think these are the big challenges when it comes to regulating um, the, this uh, industry sector. I mean, this is this is an interesting view I've heard, but I, maybe correct me if I, I got it wrong. So, Alireza, you're um, you're basically claiming that it would make sense to have a rather new, rather new laws, blockchain laws, because it's new technology, and we need to have it um, like in one um, in one new that in one new law that's that's um, you know coping with, with the new technology. And and Charles, you're saying that um, um, there's also there's also another way um, to categorize certain um, aspects of law, um, and then to to have the the blockchain regulation under existing laws. Is that is that correct, or did I get um, your well, statements wrong? The one does not exclude the other. I think uh, both uh, ways have to be considered. And again, I think classification into what can be under existing law and what cannot be under existing law um, is for me uh, would be of, uh, of essence. I don't know if Aliweza, if you share my view, but I think you, it is impossible to start from scratch and to come up with a regulation that from, from a certain moment in time would then cover all, uh, all potential products uh, and, and, and not consider what uh, um, existing regulation could also fit yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree with you, um, Charles. Um, so uh, it is actually from a, from a lawmaker uh, perspective, you can apply these different two techniques. Um, when we look in Germany right now, now the new coming uh, law for electronic securities um, and at the, at the consultation process of that, uh, many players within the market uh, suggested to implement a new law. Uh, especially for uh, electronic uh, securities or electronic uh, transactions. Um, uh, and uh, there were also some who said, okay, uh, we have also to change the existing laws. I think in the end, we will, we will have a, a mixture of both. Uh, so it's, it's probably not only uh, having new laws or not having only uh, changing the old laws. Uh, it's probably going to be, be a mixture of both. Uh, also looking at the very fast uh, changing and moving uh, um, ecosystem, the, the technological ecosystem, where we have uh, every couple of months something new. Uh, therefore, uh, I believe uh, that we will have this uh, two-way movement. So taking maybe a further look into the future. Um, as you said, Ali Reza, there's a, there's a, a big movement uh, on a global scale. There's many, many things going on um, in, in the blockchain industry and environment. Um, so now looking at, at the European Union and the legislation we have seen in the last couple of years, uh, what do you think, what would be a, a good approach to have um, some sort of more the directives um, like the like the PSD, um, which then have been have to be transposed into national laws, or would you claim that um, maybe European regulation, um, such as the GDPR, uh, would be something that could help to um, 
harmonize the European uh, crypto or blockchain regulation uh, even uh, more quicker. So what is your take on this? Um, yeah, so, so my take on this uh, by looking also right now and also having been involved in the lawmaking procedure of the MLD5 implementation in Germany is what I believe uh, at least from the AMLD uh, level, we're going to have an AMLR, so like rela regulation for the next time. Because as you can see from the German case, uh, Germany was the only country using the AMLD to implement uh, regulation of crypto assets and crypto custody service, which is from a, a single market perspective, not useful at all. But on the other hand, for Germany, it was useful to, uh, to implement its own interests. So, uh, if you look at look at it from a European Union perspective, I strongly believe that we need more regulations and less directives because the directives give room to the member states of implementing their own standards. So having uh, gold plating, for example, or even if it's very bad, having um, a disadvantage for foreign players within the Euro European Union, which should not be there at all. Uh, therefore, uh, I hope and I strongly believe that uh, for for very important international uh, um, uh, issues, we will have uh, regulation rather than directives in the future. Great. Charles? Um, uh, I, I agree with Ali Reza with, the, with the, however, the reservation that I see when, when it comes to regulation, European regulations, is that uh, first, um, you don't have these national debates. Uh, so, uh, as you don't have to um, vote, vote a law that implements the, the directive, the, the, the debate at national level is not really existing. So I, I have seen cases where I, I, I had the impression that um, institutions, regulated institutions, didn't really, weren't really aware about the fact of a regulation coming to force because they, they just um, missed it or they, they dropped it or, or they weren't aware about the uh, date of entry into effect because there has been no debate at national level. But I think we, um, um, at the end, this should not be um, um, uh, the reason for uh, opting for a directive because there are many ways to avoid that situation. Uh, and to, uh, it is also um, 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 a question of communicating in the right way. And there I see also uh, the increasing role of uh, the European um, supervisory authorities. Uh, we have seen it uh, for the uh, European Banking Authority that have be has become very active um, in the field of payment service directive. So, and th the same could apply um, um, to that future regulation on, on crypto assets. But um, I think the, the thing that is important is um, to communicate and to make clear what uh, is this new regulation about and what will change at national level. And, uh, and finally, it is a question also linked to, do you want to have an opt-in system or, or do you want to have a global system applying to everybody? Uh, could you uh, ex please explain a bit more what you mean about opt-in and uh... well uh, the, the, the one uh, the one way would be if you say um, we build up an opt-in um, system that would mean that players that are active in that area can choose to uh, be regulated by opting in and by applying for a license or uh, a uh, registration and on the other hand you could say well no we will uh, take um, a more global view and um, uh, draft legislation that will apply to each uh, and any uh, of the actors i think both options can have uh, advantages and disadvantages and i have no final view um, mm. on that okay understood 
So um, I think that was a very good overview on um, um, on uh, European uh, crypto regulation and upcoming crypto regulation. So maybe as a as a final statement, what uh, what would be your idea, Alireza? You said something in this regard earlier, but what is your take on um, uh, future regulation? So we do have uh, crypto uh, crypto um, custody regulation. Uh, we do have a crypto trading regulation. So what else you guys see? when it comes to crypto slash blockchain slash DLT technologies, um, what, what do you think would be the next, uh, the next uh, targets for European lawmakers to put under regulation? So, yeah, it's, it's a very good question. I mean, when it comes to, to crypto, as I was mentioning it, there are some services which are not regulated now because crypto is not fiat money. Therefore, it is, for example, not uh, um, qualified as deposit business or loan business. However, if you look at staking, uh, so with, with staking business, you have both elements of deposit and loan business. However, it is not regulated as deposit or loan business because it's dealing with crypto and not with fiat money. Uh, we have the same discussion when it comes to stable coins. We, have, uh, we do not really understand, is it a, a payment instrument? Is it crypto? Is it a hybrid? Um, and I believe that uh, um, the, the European lawmakers and the lawmakers on the domestic level, they will try to understand more and more what kind of different services we have in a crypto economy and then introduce new laws. And by looking at the wider picture and the blockchain picture, um, as you can see right now, for example, on the digital identity service providers, um, we are already faced that there will be new laws uh, and maybe even uh, something beneficial for the uh, for the um, participants, uh, which would allow participants, for example, to make use of digital uh, identity service providers rather than running their own KYC and AML. Charles, what do you think? Yes, my my um my very first comment would be that um and i i i see it when 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 dealing with those topics um there is the risk that lawmakers will always run behind because this is a so fast evolving um, um area with new technologies coming up uh, and and new use cases for blockchain uh, coming up uh, each week that indeed i see the risk that you cannot really be um, uh, up to date uh, on uh, at, at the legislative level in in that area. But on the other hand, we have to start um, uh, at some stage, and I um, I think we could even take this discussion at at a more higher level because um, Aliriza mentioned the example of stable coins, which means a cryptocurrency that is backed by something of value. We have seen the example of Libra. We have seen the reactions uh, um, uh, to Libra. Um, we have seen that uh, Facebook has been officially requested to stop any, to stop uh, realizing that business until there would be regulatory um, um, certainty. So I think if you think the idea of Libra um, to the end, this would mean a parallel uh, ecosystem um, um, existing. Um, in addition to the um, to the ecosystem built by our national central banks. So. I think we could also then start uh, and discussing about uh, a new digital currency uh, governed by a, by a central bank because at the end the um one of the main um attractive points of um, um 
virtual currencies uh, would I, I would say is decentralization and decentralization would be in, uh, would mean no more control for central banks so I think there will be a big discussion going on on that level um, uh, central banks and uh, stable coins now that's a very good statement sorry now it's another <laughs> another question Charles was a good point so CBDC um, Charles Alireza what do you think uh, what will happen in this regard? I mean, we have seen China moving forward rather quickly and um, we do see a lot of movement in that area. Um, so maybe one of you guys can explain shortly what CBDC stands for and um, what CBDC um, initiatives have been started maybe already in, in, in the European Union. I think, uh, Ali Reza, if I, if I don't get it wrong, I think you were involved in a statement paper um, uh, with regard to CBDC in Germany, but um, maybe I, I got it wrong. So um, what does CBDC stand for and what do you think what will happen in this regard in the nearer future? No, no, you're right, Frank. I mean, I was, I was involved and I'm involved in this movement from a German perspective because uh, the German uh, players, they're all try to push the government, they try to push the European Central Bank to uh, start uh, working on a CBDC. So it's a central bank digital currency. So there's a digital currency which is either issued by a central bank or which is guaranteed by a central bank, uh, which makes the digital currency become very similar to fiat money. So this is actually a definition of fiat money. And uh, so um, the reason why they are now pushing on this is because the market has uh, realized that um, issuing a digital currency by a, a market player, which is not a governmental market player, does not have any uh, effect because from a regulatory perspective, it is very tricky to issue something like this. And from an uh, economic perspective, it is very difficult to have this uh, accepted by the other players. But having it issued by a, a central, uh, central government or by European Central Bank, this would have a, a, a totally different uh, um, status within the international capital, the global capital market. And uh, looking at what China did, uh, China is from a technological perspective uh, far ahead compared to uh, EU and uh, to the EU and to Germany. Um, we all believe that they are at least five to six years ahead. So, but looking at this uh, technological advantage which China has, we also realize that if we're already from a technological perspective five to six years behind and we also need longer to introduce the laws to give the uh, the, the, the 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 ground for for producing such a, 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 a cbdc then it means that we will be at least six years behind china and from now uh, as you can also see in other areas like the 5g or, or, or other things uh, in a technological environment uh, um, China is uh, running away, they are running ahead and uh, um, interestingly I had uh, uh, three weeks ago an, uh, a, um, a conference where I was participating as a speaker together with a, a representative from the European Central Bank and this lady was saying okay uh, we are also working on that and we are looking right now at Sweden which, has, uh, which is going to introduce something maybe in seven years so uh, if I hear something like that, that the, the ECB is looking at Sweden, which needs seven years, oh, then I'm really afraid how long we will need. Yeah, absolutely. 
So Charles, what is your view on CBDC and, and the uh, developments in, in, in China? Yes, I, I, I fully agree with Ali Reza. I think we have to, um, um, we have to understand um, this initiative and we have to deal with it and we have to um, assess uh, what would be a proper um, uh, EU um, initiative and solution. Um, again, there are these private market initiatives, but there are also these initiatives from um, uh, other countries in the world like China. And it is just not possible to ignore both and um, um, to think in deadlines of seven years, I think it is not helpful. It is a very complex matter um, um, and it involves many actors um, um, that are not used to uh, necessary to speed up um, like that. But on the other hand, um, um, we, we, we need to show um, that the technology and um, uh, that from a technological perspective and from a legal perspective, uh, the EU is able to, to, to cope with such a project. Yeah. So maybe this is something for another episode of uh, Paytech Talk. Um, um, I think it would be worthwhile to take a deeper deep dive into the CBDC world and, and explain in more detail what the um, chances and risks uh, can be. Um, maybe we are a, a bit behind China, but uh, maybe we can uh, still overtake, take over, <laughs> no, not take over, overtake um, China with regards to regulatory compliance uh, topics, because I think uh, we do have, we do have uh, well, more enhanced privacy laws, uh, which sometimes uh, happens to make us move uh, slowly. But I think from a trust perspective, uh, this could be an advantage. But as I said, um, maybe this is something for another the podcast. So um, yeah, Ali Reza and Charles, thank you very much for your uh, participation in this uh, interesting chat. Uh, I think we should do this more often. Uh, I think it was re really interesting um, to first understand uh, what you guys are doing uh, in your law firms um, um, at Ennet and in, in Luxembourg and in Frankfurt. It was also very interesting to learn more on how the crypto regulation um, developed in, in Germany, how the current status is in Luxembourg and in Germany. And uh, more importantly, I think your thoughts on how crypto regulation could develop in the near future and in the long run was also very interesting. So thank you very much. Um, and I hope to yeah, speak to you guys um, on the same platform rather sooner than later. Thank you very much, Frank. It was a pleasure to exchange with both of you. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Charles. It was a pleasure okay. to me. Okay. Uh, well, folks, um, this was, uh, well, after a long time, uh, another podcast in English. I think we also will do this more oftenly because we did receive requ requests from um, listeners from all over Europe and, and also um, outside of Europe. Um, to have more content in English. So uh, we are working on uh, some new formats um, on uh, Paytech Law. I think crypto will be um, uh, a key focus in this regard. 
Um, if you like what we did and uh, today, and if you have further questions, uh, just reach out on Paytech Law. Uh, you can also um, reach out directly to Charles um, and, and uh, Ali Reza. Also to me, if you want, um, you will find information in the show notes. And as always, if uh, you like what we, what we are doing here at Paytech Law, give us five stars at uh, uh, on iTunes or also if, if, if you think something could be better then please also we're happy to receive uh, also critical statements on, on what we do and what we can improve so in any case um, guys uh, stay safe um, and um, join us the next time when we say welcome to Paytech Talk this is Frank and I'm Audi cheers